welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. going to continue our series, as uh, Pete said before, and it's a series called, let me hear you say it, three words, rebels, riots, and revolutionaries, and we're up to part 12, believe it or not. Now, I'm going to be continuing our series tonight, and basically what it is, it's, it's an overview of the book of Acts, and the book of Acts was written to provide a bit of an overview as well, but also a detailed account of the birth and the growth of the Christian church. And our hope is that through this series, we all get a little bit inspired and learned something from the people who comprised the early church. Now, just let me catch you up to speed so you know where we're up to. We're starting from chapter 15 tonight. And just to let you know what's been happening, basically it's been 15 years since Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven where he now reigns and rules over everything. And at this very moment, the church is doing really, really well. I mean, they're even getting together and talking about all the amazing things that are happening. They're getting together and talking about all their salvations, that the word of God is spreading, all their miracles, the signs and the wonders, and everything is going really, really well. They're testifying in a city of Antioch. All the church leaders are together, and they're just raving about all the amazing things that had happened. But then... Chapter 15 comes. Suddenly, something happens. There's a real da-da-da-da moment in chapter 15. Something evil this way comes. There is a new threat happening. There's a new threat approaching the church. But this time, it's a little bit different. And it seems to be the case. Every time something happens, every time there's momentum, everything, every time the church advances a little bit, something happens and there's a new opposition. This time, there's a new opposition against the church, but it's a little bit different. This time, the threat is a little bit different because it comes from within their own people, from within their own believers themselves. It's not an outside threat. It's a threat from within their own believers, from within their own Christians. Now, that's why I've actually called my message the enemy within. The enemy within, because there is an enemy within their ranks that wants to rear its ugly face. Now, this new threat is not persecution. It's not a threat of death or imprisonment or jail or anything like that. Uh, it's probably the worst threat of all. And I think I can best illustrate it like this. With these guys. Oh, broke. Now, thank you very much. Would you like to volunteer for this? Because I, I will need a volunteer in a moment, but I'll, I'll let you hear it out first, okay? Um, now, this is what... It was very similar to... They used to use sharp stones or a sharp flint uh, uh, back 200,000 years ago. No, sorry, 2,000 years ago, not that long. Um, and uh, they used to do that to perform circumcisions. Who'd like to volunteer for this? Uh, anybody? I said to Embry this morning, now sit down, you, you. You know, he would. He actually would. But uh, they used to perform circumcisions uh, with, with these sort of things. Now, that was the new threat. Believe it or not, Christian leaders got up and said, guys, uh, actually, there was one thing we forgot. There is something that we have omitted from our faith, from our teaching. Uh, actually, you now, guys, all you men, you actually have to get circumcised. And all the men went, ouch. 
Now it brings a tear to the eye. Exactly. Can you believe that? Can you imagine? Can you believe that? Just put yourself in their shoes. Imagine church leaders suddenly getting up and saying, uh, blokes, you're going to have to come with us tonight. Uh, have to line up in front of that small guillotine over there. Um, and uh, look, it won't take long. Uh, it's going to hurt us more than it's going to hurt you. Uh, so, you know, it's just biblical. Uh, if you're really bashful, then maybe you don't have to line up. You can just um, make an appointment to see Pete or something during the week. I don't know. And uh, he'll, be, he'll be happy to sort you out. I don't know. But can you, can you imagine that? Suddenly, these Christians get up and say, oh, look, there's something we forgot. And um, we now need to be circumcised. And they're going all the way. Let's read about it. In uh, I'll just put my implements down here. Emery, please sit down. Don't come up, whatever you do. Um, let's read what happens. In Acts uh, 15.1, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Ouch. You cannot be saved. They're going all the way. They're not even saying, you know, it's a good thing to do. You should be circumcised. It's nice. No, they're saying, unless you get circumcised, you're going to hell. You're not saved. You're going to burn, you uncircumcised Philistine. Now, that's, that's pretty full on. Now, that was bad enough. That threat, I think, does bring a tear to my eye. However, I think there's a bigger threat because of what it represents and because of what it symbolizes. And that's going to be the main uh, backbone of my message tonight. Because what it symbolizes is this. It's religion. It's people trying to bring in religion into church, religion into the faith, religion into their relationship with Jesus. Now, as we all know, or most of us know, who have a relationship with Jesus, our faith has nothing to do with religion. Religion basically is this. It's a bunch of rules and regulations to try and get you to heaven, to try and get you saved. But that's not the Christian message. We cannot approach God with our rules and regulations. We approach God by our faith in Jesus. And that's how we're accepted. There is no room for religion in the Christian faith. And that's what these Pharisees who wanted to bring in circumcision back into the church represented. It represented a huge threat, the threat of religion. So tonight... We're going to just take a few moments to have a look at this threat, this new threat in the church, and how the leaders back then approached it and dealt with this threat, because I believe it's a threat that we all face. I believe it's a threat that we all face from within ourselves as well. We can get religions from time to time. We can slip into religion, and we can go into places where religion prevails in certain places. So we're going to read how the disciples and the apostles actually dealt with this threat. Is that okay tonight? Fantastic. Okay. We're going to read from Acts 15, and we're just going to read a few verses, 7 to 11, and uh, we're going to just find out exactly what happened. After much discussion... Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Now, this is a great way to counteract any threat of religion. And there's a few things that I want to glean from here that I believe are going to be really useful for our lives. Amen? So the first thing is just simply this. 
When we are threatened by a religious attitude from within ourselves or from other people, we need to remember, as Peter did, quite simply that we are accepted. That God accepts us. Remind ourselves that we are accepted. In verse 8 it says, God who knows their heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Peter confronts the threat of religion by reminding himself and others that we are accepted. There's nothing more that we can do. There's nothing less that we can do, irrespective of our background, irrespective of what we've done, where we've been, what we ha- where we haven't been, what we haven't done. It doesn't matter. In God, we are accepted. That's why he says God showed them that he accepted them. But religion would say something else to you. Religion would say, look, if you want to be accepted by God, you have to do all these things. You have to turn to rules and regulations, which is why they wanted to go back to circumcision. Because that's what circumcision meant back then. It was a way for people to be accepted by God. It was a way by people to show that they were chosen and set apart by God. In uh, Genesis 17.10, I'll just read this out to you. It's not up on the screen. It says, this is my covenant. This is God speaking with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. That's how people found acceptance by God. And that's why these these, uh, Pharisees wanted to bring back circumcision back into the church. However, Peter reminds us that there's a new way. And it's just simply this, that acceptance is a free gift from God. It's a totally undeserved free gift from God. He accepts us, warts and all. doesn't matter what we've done, what we haven't done, God accepts us. And he proves that he accepts us by this, by giving us his Holy Spirit. Because it is through the Holy Spirit that we now get circumcised. See, we still get circumcised. There's still a snipping. There's still a cutting. But the cutting this time is not the cutting of the body by men. It is now the cutting of the heart through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now cuts our hearts with his presence, with his conviction, with his word. He works away at our hearts. He sets us apart. It's no longer the body, but it's our hearts. And that's how God shows us that he accepts us, by giving us his Holy Spirit, by accepting us. So that's what we need to remember. We need to remember that when people come to our church for the first time, that they are simply accepted, that God accepts them. There is nothing that they need to do. They don't need to wait until they give up a certain thing or wait until they stop doing a certain thing or or, or look a certain way or sound a certain way. It's not about that. In this church, you are accepted just the way you are. I, I, I love this saying. And it's a, it's a saying that I apply to new believers, to new people visiting the church. In this church, first you belong. First you belong. Then you believe. We hope. Our prayer is that you do believe in a loving God who created you for a purpose, who created you because he loves you and because he wants to fulfill his plans and purposes for you. That's what we hope. But first you belong. Then you believe. And then eventually, through the Holy Spirit, and as he works away in your heart, you will change the things that you need to change. He'll reveal to you what those things are. He'll let you know. And he will change your heart. He will convict your heart. But first, you belong. You are welcome here and you belong here. I tell you what, it's an ongoing process. There are things in my life that I still have to work on. If I, if I had to wait until I changed everything that I needed to change, I, I'd still be waiting. But the grace of God... 
is different to religion. The grace of God tells us that you are accepted. So let's remember that. We don't need to try and be something we're not or act a certain way. God accepts us. Through his grace, God accepts us. I mean, my children are classics at this. Um, I have a, a five-year-old girl who loves to decorate. Uh, she changes our house around all the time. It always freaks out I connect group because every time we, they come, our house is being rearranged. Uh, but she just loves decorating. It's so cute. But I've got a three-year-old who is not very good at that. Uh, but when I praise my five-year-old girl for the decorating that she's done, the other day she was watching it and uh, she thought, oh, I'm going to do some decorating myself. And then she comes back five minutes later and she says, Daddy, I want to show you something. So I go and show her. She goes, I've made the bathroom look beautiful. And she's wrapped up everything in the bathroom in toilet paper and tissues <laughs> with little patterns around it, like, like toothbrushes, uh, uh, the Colgate, everything. Uh, razor blades, everything was wrapped up in tissues. And she goes, did I make everything look beautiful? Well, no, you look, made everything look disgustingly messy. I didn't say that, but I knew what she was trying to do. She was trying to be something. That's not her gifting. She's got no idea how to make things beautiful. She, she really, she really doesn't. Don't tell her that. I'm not saying any names, so you can't, you can't talk to her. But she was trying to be, and, and be something that she's not, to gain my acceptance. We laugh, but I tell you, we do that. And I've been guilty of doing that. Of seeing what someone else can do and think, wow, that is awesome. Wish I could do that. I think I'll give that a, a, a whirl. I think I'll try that. God may accept me more. People may accept me more. You know, if I look a certain way, or if I, if I behave a certain way, if I, or if I pray a certain way, or if I talk a certain way, I've done that. I've been just as bad as my three-year-old, I tell you. And I think most of us have as well. But we need to stop thinking like that. And we need to remember that in God, we are accepted. Unconditionally, we are accepted. First, we belong. Then we believe. And then eventually, the changes that need to take place will take place. So that's the first thing that Peter reminds us of. The second thing, quickly, is simply this, that we are righteous. And I love this. This is awesome. I've been thinking about this for the last few weeks, that we are righteous before God. In verse 9, he says, He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Peter here confronts religion by remembering that those of us who believe in Christ are righteous. This is amazing. That we have already been declared righteous. There's not, not, there's not something we need to try to attain or get. God has already said, if you're in Christ, you are righteous. You are perfect. You are holy. Now you might be thinking, I'm anything but. And yes, you're right. But that's the grace of God. That your condition may be anything but, but your position, if you're in Christ, is that you are perfect. You are holy. You are righteous. And that's how God sees you. But religion will tell you something else altogether. Religion will say something different to you, which is why these people wanted to go back to religion. Religion will tell you that unless you behave a certain way, unless you do certain things, you need to be able to win your righteousness. You need to be able to win your holiness, which is why people used to get circumcised. It was also a sign of holiness, that you had been set apart by God, that you had right standing with God. But now Peter reminds us of an amazing new way. But once again, it's a gift from God. Just like acceptance is a, is a gift from God, righteousness is a fantastic, awesome, unconditional gift from God. And the thing is, God still requires us to be righteous, but it is as we place our faith in Jesus that we get given this incredible free gift. I mean, this is the most amazing transaction. We place our faith in Jesus. We accept him into our lives. 
And the reward, the, the reward is righteousness. We get given righteousness by God. We get declared holy. Now, another word righteousness is a little bit difficult to, to connect with. I think it's lost a bit of meaning. Uh, so just, just to clarify and explain a little bit, I'm actually going to quote a gentleman by the name of uh, Pastor Tim Keller, who's from the Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And uh, this is one of the best definitions of righteousness in Christ that I have ever heard. It simply says this, righteousness is a validating performance record which opens doors. I'll just say it again. Righteousness is a validating performance record which opens doors. So it's like, for example, if you're going to go for a job interview and you want to try and get this certain position, you bring your resume. And in your resume, you've got all your abilities, all your skills, all the things that you can do, all your performance records that you hope will gain you the employment, which you hope will give you the approval and give you the position. However, with God, Jesus gives you his holy resume. And he says, everything that I did, all my righteousness is yours, is yours for the taking. Everything that I've ever achieved, all my purity, all my holiness, everything that I ever did is absolutely and freely given to you. It's an amazing, amazing concept that God's righteousness is given to us as an amazing gift. And I think the lesson for us is simply this. Now, this may sound a little bit weird to you, but just bear with me. How many times, how many of you do you reflect on your righteousness? Not your own ability or the things that you've done, but the righteousness that God has given you in Christ Jesus. If you're like me, you probably beat yourself up more often than not about your failings, about your sin, about the things that you fall short in. If you're anything like me, you dwell on those things. Those things happen and you just beat yourself up. You just focus on those things. But when was the last time you actually sat down and just meditated on and focused on the fact that the Bible says you've been clothed with righteousness? You have got, before God, you have got righteousness, perfect righteousness with him. I think it would be an amazing thing if we live there more, I think it would help so much of the depression and anger, so much of the inferiority complexes in the church and the competition, and just, just to know that we have been cloaked and received with total and utter righteousness. Before God, we are righteous. Let me encourage you to do that. I think this is one of the lessons that we can learn from this. We're talking about counteracting uh, religion. This is one of the ways that we can do it. I, and and I'm, I'm really feeling God just to encourage you and really urge you to do that. Even this week, just make time, set, set time aside. Just to, just to reflect on the fact, man, I am, I've got Christ's righteousness. His every act of obedience has been credited to me. His holiness has been credited to me. I am righteous before God. I'm not talking about neglecting your sin. I'm talking about, okay, admit your sin, repent, but don't beat yourself up for it. Focus more, meditate on, and wait on God and think about your incredible righteousness that you have before him. Um, moving on to verse 10, there's something else that I, I, I just love this from Peter. Um, the next thing that I believe he clearly establishes is this, that we are free. That we are free. Verse 10 says this, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? 
Peter here confronts religion by remembering that those of us who believe in Christ are free. We're free from the law, free from its rituals, free from its regulations, free from every single one of those requirements. That's why he uses the word yoke here. The word yoke here actually refers to law. We've been set free from having to keep every single one of those commandments. But once again, religion will tell you something else. Religion will say that you need to keep all these different rules and regulations, which is why they wanted to go back to circumcision. But we've been set free from having to keep all those rituals and commands. There's a much better way now. And the way is simply this, that we have again freely given this amazing freedom in Christ from all these rituals, from all these regulations. It's an amazing, amazing uh, freedom that we have in Christ. But it's not a freedom to do whatever we want. It's a freedom to actually worship God, love God, honour God and serve Him as we should. We've all got things that hold us back. We've all got things that hold us down and, uh, and try and keep us away from the Word of God. But I tell you, we find a freedom, we find a power when God fills us with His Spirit to be able to set ourselves free to actually be able to worship Him and honour Him and serve Him as we should. So let's remember, let's remember as Peter reminds us here that we have been set free. Uh, if I can have that final scripture come up. Later on, they write a letter to the, um, to the church leaders telling them that, no, we don't believe in circumcision, but we do believe in certain things that are going to help you and encourage you. So let me read you this, because this, this really highlights how, yes, we've been set free, but we've been set free to actually honour God in every way that we can. And in verse 28, it simply says this, um, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. They're the only rules, they're the only regulations that these guys feel like they have to pass on to the other believers. Now, I, th- I, think that, I think they're great. They're not saying you have to keep this commandment and, th- and that commandment. Say, look, you, you guys are free. You're free from the law. However, in Christ, if you want to be free to be able to worship God and be all that he's called you to be, you will do well to keep these things in mind. You will do well to abstain from these things. And I think it's really clever uh, how they cover some of the major things that keep us away from God. It covers idolatry. It covers sexual impurity. It, it, it covers physical health. You know, we need to be able to keep these things in mind if we're going to be free to be able to worship God. I tell you, religion is an ugly, ugly threat that rears its ugly head. It reared its ugly threat, its its ugly head with the church uh, uh, 2,000 years ago. And I've called this message uh, the enemy within because it's something that we all wrestle with as well. We we all slip into that works mentality. It's it's so easy to do. I I know that it happens with me, but it's one of the biggest biggest enemies of our faith and in our church. And look, I believe that there's two things, that there's two main reasons why religion is such a horrible, horrible threat in our lives. Because it only leads to two very painful and horrible things. When you try to work your way into acceptance, when you try to work your way into righteousness, when you try to work your way keeping the law so that God would approve to you, it only ends in either pride or despair. It's the only thing that religion ever leads to. It's the only thing that religion has ever led anybody to. Because if you're able to keep the law, or if you're able to seem righteous, if you're able to do something good, if you feel like you've been accepted, that's going to lead you to pride. 
Look at me. Look what I've done. Look what I've mastered in my own strength. Look what I've managed to do. But conversely, if you try to keep the law, if you try to you know, just fulfill what God's called you to do and you fail miserably, that only, that's only going to lead also to despair. Either way, religion is not going to lead you to, to the freedom that God would, would have us live in. So I believe that this is an amazing uh, portion of Scripture that's going to help us for when, whenever religion may rear its ugly head within our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own faith, in our own walks, or when we see it rearing its head in churches, because it, it will happen. People will bring in their religious attitudes. But we need to be able to remember that in Christ, we have been given this incredible freedom. In Christ, we have been totally and unconditionally accepted. And in Christ, we have absolute, absolute and total righteousness. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.